Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to 1 Samuel chapter 7 and reading for our text verse 12. 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Ebenezer meaning the stone of help. 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. The subject this morning, we have a picture of the Lord's people being brought back from backsliding. It is also a picture and it mirrors very much the same of a first conversion, a first being brought from being far off from God and being brought back again to God. And we see immediately that there is a returning, then the adversaries of the people of the Lord rise up and they seek to attack them, bring them back into bondage. But the Lord overrules it for good and actually brings about a blessing, a greater blessing than could have been had if those adversaries had not have risen up. And so then when that blessing is given, the deliverance that Israel had at this time, then immediately there's a raising up of this stone of help and Ebenezer, a praise to the Lord, not waiting until maybe some other time or when further deliverances are brought or until the time when they were to take back the cities that the Philistines had. No, they immediately gave this time to giving thanks and acknowledging the Lord's help thus far. And this then is a real pattern for us to do in our lives. I want to look then this morning at four points. Firstly, what brought God's people to be so far from the Lord. And we look at the case of Israel here briefly, but consider that of God's people in general. And then secondly, a people returning to the Lord. There is a picture here of what constitutes a real returning unto the Lord. And then we have, thirdly, the stirred-up adversaries and the Lord's use of them to give a blessing and deliverance. And then lastly, a time and a place and a way to mark the Lord's help so far. But firstly, we have what brought the people of the Lord to the condition that they are in now, I want to first look at the, the literal history that was here. The children of Israel that came to uh, Shiloh and the ark was placed there and in the tent there. And we have the account of how Eli was there and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, how they abused the offerings of the Lord and made them vile. They uh, committed great sins and wickedness and it was in that setting that 
Hannah came and prayed to the Lord for a child. The Lord gave her Samuel and she had promised to give him and to loan him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And Samuel was then brought up there at Shiloh. The first words by the Lord through Samuel to Israel and to Eli was that God would judge his house. And one of the signs that was given that both of his sons would die in one day. Well, then the Philistines came up against Israel and Israel went out against them and fought with them. But the Israelites, the Philistines were prevailing against the children of Israel. We are told that the place that they were actually fighting was in the place that uh, our, our text is found in. It's Remember the... The biblical record that we're reading is written after these events. So when we come to, in in chapter 4, we read, Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitch beside Ebenezer, in in anticipation that that was what it was going to be named. But for us, it places this, this battle of which the children of Israel were put to the worst before the Philistines in the same place as that the Lord later gave them deliverance and raised up the stone Ebenezer. It is is the same place. So the children of Israel, when they saw that they were being put to the worst by the Philistines, they then thought that they would bring the ark itself into the host and that had never ever been done before. But it was almost like a, a, a lucky charm. It was like a, a bringing in this, this symbol, but without the Lord, they departed from the Lord, but they just thought that by bringing the ark, that that would help them. And so when the ark came, there was a great shout. The Philistines understood what had happened that the ark had come and they feared greatly. They said, this is the the ark, this is of the God of Israel, this is the ark that had been through the wilderness, that had been through the uh, rivers of Jordan, Uh, and they feared, they said, let us fight, and they fought even harder, and the Lord gave them the victory, and the ark of God was taken by the Philistines, and the two sons of Eli, the priest, were slain. When that news was sent back to uh, Israel, to Shiloh, uh, when Eli heard it, he fell back off the seat where he was, his neck broke, and he died. And uh, the wife of one of the was due with child, and she gave birth, called the name, claiming him that the glory of God had departed. And in So we have the situation then with the rule over the children of Israel and the ark actually in the land of the Philistines. But the Lord dealt great diseases with the Philistines. It was taken through one city after another, five cities, and each city uh, they were afflicted with emeralds, with mice with plagues 
And in the beginning as well, it had been placed next to Dagon, their God. And Dagon had fallen down before the ark. And when they set it up the second time, he not only fell down, he was broken and completely uh, destroyed. So the Lord bore witness to his presence as he went right through the land of the Philistines. And in the end, the Philistines, they were unsure. They said it might be the Lord, it might not. But just to put it on a test, they would send the ark back with presents to Israel. And so they put it on a cart. They uh, put kind to that cart and tied up their calves at home. So nature would have said, said that those cows would have gone back to their calves. And they said, if it goes back to Israel, then the Lord hath done this. And if it doesn't, then it has been some chance has happened. But the oxen went by the straight way to Beth Shemesh, lowing as they went. And they had a very, very clear witness. It was the Lord that had done this. Well, when it came to Beth Shemesh, the children of Israel were very pleased to see it. And some of them, they looked into the Uh, 50,000 of them God killed for their error in looking into the Ark of the Covenant. There was offerings made there on on the stone at Bethshemesh and then the Ark was taken uh, to Kerjath-Jerim. And that's where we began our reading. And the man of Bethshemesh, when so many had been Uh, killed they said who is able to stand before this holy lord god and to whom shall he go up from us and so then they they took the ark and for 20 years it was there in kerjatjerim now it was a lot longer there because in david's day he brought up the ark from kerjatjerim to a tent he had made for it in jerusalem so that would be another could be 40, 50 years later on because here we have Samuel, we had to have uh, Saul come to the throne and then that was 40 years and then we've got David. So although they were to uh, bring up the ark, it was still to abide there at Kerjath-Jerim. But what is meant for 20 years? The children of Israel had not looked to the Lord, they had not turned back to the Lord, they had not found him. There had been this time when they had not come and worshipped before the Lord. They hadn't been brought to rare repentance, to godly sorrow or anything. They were far off from the Lord. And when we think of here, this is God's people. This is the Lord's people that he had brought out from Egypt. He had redeemed them. He had formed them there. And they turned to idols. They'd gone so far away from the true worship. They'd sinned very greatly. And yet the Lord was to bring them back, even from that position. But we think of it in a position by nature as well. In the fall, in the Adam fall, it is a separation between God and man. In the gospel, it is God and sinners reconciled. But in the fall, we are far off from the Lord. We are dead in trespasses and sins. We know not the Lord. We are enemies to the Lord, at peace with hell and 
uh, with God at war, and yet we, we do not know that, far off from the Lord. And it is disobedience. It was in the very first place, listening to Satan, disobedience, rebelling against the Lord that brought about the fall, and it is what brings about backsliding as well. It is forgetting the first works, forgetting the first blessings that the Lord blessed us with and going back to those things. In the letters to the Revelation, we read that the churches there had left their first love. They had a name to live and yet they were dead. The true state of a people uh, under the curse and far off from God is a state on their own. They do not know it. They do not realise it. And yet the Lord has a way to bring and a time to bring them to himself and to begin a work of grace, to call them, to redeem them, to give them the new birth and to save them. And the picture that we have here, how the Lord brought Israel back, is the same way right from the very beginning. It is the same way the Lord deals with one being brought out of nature's darkness and into his light as it is that brings one to be restored again when they have backslidden. It is not a, a different way, a different path. It is the same. And so I want to look then secondly at a people returning unto the Lord. In verse 2, we have that the time was long, 20 years. How often the Lord uses time with his people. He's used in the way that it was in Ezekiel when the people of God had sinned then. He says, I will go and return unto my place until they acknowledge their sin and their iniquity. This is one thing that is very different between one first being called and one being brought to return because the Lord, for his people that have known his presence, uses his absence or hiding himself, as in this case, to make them to feel their sin and to make them realise what they have lost and the Lord hiding his face, they'll feel that, whereas a people dead in sin will not feel that. And yet the Lord does, even in the very first quickening of his people, make a people to have an aching void that this world cannot fill, an emptiness, something that the Lord only can satisfy. And we read the picture here, that Israel, the house of Israel, lamented after the Lord. They missed him. They wanted him again. They wanted him to return. And the Lord used this time. Now, in a way, what an encouragement here for a backslider. We might say, well, it's been 20 years. We might say we've been in a trial and a trouble uh, and in a low place for 20 years and because it's 20 years the devil will say you'll never be restored you'll never be blessed you'll never be built up and strengthened but the Lord did it here after they had been 20 years in this state and condition and the Lord used that length of time 
for good. How often there is a preparing of the heart. Our Lord told of the parable of the sower and the one that brought forth fruit was the word that was sowed in prepared ground. And here we have a people that have been prepared and it's through the time that has elapsed. We have it in the days of Ahab uh, when Israel had gone after Baal and for three and a half years God sent a famine. And the Lord used that famine and used that time to make the children of Israel willing, willing to listen, to hear and to come to Mount Carmel and put the Lord on trial, whether he was the true God or whether Baal was. And so we are to notice those things the Lord uses to incline our hearts to him, to bring us to be a returning people. Might be afflictions, might be persecutions, might be trial, might be losses, might be crosses, things that the Lord uses. And when we look to find our God, we find him not. The Lord is hidden, the Lord is far off from us, and we miss him, and we feel a need of him. And then we have a second thing that is happening for this returning people. We read, Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel. You think, why didn't Samuel speak before? Why did Samuel wait for 20 years? No, Samuel was the Lord's servant. He wasn't just to decide, well, now is the time. I'm going to speak to them now. If the Lord was using a time to bring their hearts back and knew that that would be effectual, there was a time then for Samuel to wait and then to speak or put it in the way of today in the ministry of the word it may be for 20 years the word is sat under but then there comes a time the Lord speaks through his servants and instructs this people whose heart is aching who's desiring and inclining after the Lord and the ministry then speaks to them as to what they should do and how they should act and how this can be changed And what does Samuel say to them? If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and astray from among you. Prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Isn't it amazing? The children of Israel were worshipping the gods of the Philistines, worshipping those false gods of their 20 years, even after all that had happened, they had still got them. And really it was the pattern right through the history of Israel and it is the pattern of God's people, their propensity to go back to idols, go back to false gods and away from the Lord. But the first word that is spoken and directed is repentance. That was the first message that came when our Lord came with John the Baptist as preparing the way of the Lord was to preach repentance. And it was the message that Paul had to those at Mars Hill faced with all of the altars of different gods. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. There's a command to turn away from every false god, every other way of salvation but the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And that command is through all the world. It's not an evangelical repentance that is 
brought about by the Spirit in conversion, but it is that command that the whole world is to know. There is no salvation, there is no deliverance, there is no way of being saved in any other way but through the Lord Jesus Christ, through God's only begotten Son. And Israel were set in this way, the same as Paul set those at Athens. He says, In him we live and move and have our being. Him whom ye do ignorantly worship, I declare unto you. And so the word then is heard by the people. We could say, in the sense of hearing the preaching of the word, the Lord opens the ear and they begin to hear and they begin to listen and so then that brings obedience. In verse 4, Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and serve the Lord only. They did that. They not only received the word, they believed the word and they put into practice what was set before them in the word of God. They identified that those sins, those false gods that were being set before them, the way that they walked, they were guilty of. They were in a position where they should go away and make changes in their life and do things that were different, put things away and follow after the Lord only. How often in the word of God is this word only so so vital? The Lord says he cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot have two masters. You can only have one master. Uh, the Lord directs his people to take up their cross and to follow him. And that it is in a path that is not a divided heart, but a whole heart. And many times with the children of Israel, this was their sin. And in one sense, it can mask our sin when we think, well, we're still going to chapel. We're still reading our Bibles. We're still having our family worship. We're still having even our private devotions. And that masks the fact that secretly we've got other sins and idols and our heart is not right with the Lord, but we don't discern it at first because there's an outward show is still there. And many times with the children of Israel, they had that. They still had the outward worship of God but then they had their idol worship alongside. Be very mindful of those things that damp conscience that cause that we don't actually see what we're doing or even make excuse and think, well, we are the people of God, so the Lord won't deal too hardly with me for these thoughts, these ways, these affections by sin defiled or these practices. But the children of Israel they had to be brought to serve the Lord only. So a people returning to the Lord. They're brought to repentance. Then they're going to uh, gather together and to misper, to worship the Lord and to confess their sin before the Lord. They come there with obedience, they come with repentance, with fasting, 
and with prayer. Now, sometimes people ask, well, what is fasting and should we fast today? Our Lord, he reproved those in his day that fast for contention, fasted for debate, or those that fasted so that they could be seen of men to be fasting, as if to get some praise from that. But in the scriptures, the whole reason of fasting is to give ourselves unto prayer. It is to facilitate the returning to the Lord and worship to the Lord. That is the, the end of it. It is showing the reality of our repentance. But instead of having to spend time in eating or preparing meals, we spend that time in prayer. There are some that will fast but perhaps spend the time for all sorts of things and they're not actually returning to the Lord. The whole idea is a heart that is fully returning to the Lord without distractions, even without the distractions of eating or preparing. We think of when our Lord came into the house of Martha and Mary and Lazarus and there is poor Martha and she can't sit at the feet of the Lord and hear his word because she's so cumbered about with much serving. We say, well, here is one of the Lord's dear people and her preparing the meals even for the Lord, it is preventing her from receiving the blessing of the Lord. And so uh, it is not only in the, in the way of fasting, but to think what are those things that do keep us from the Lord, keep us from the throne of grace, keep us from really fully returning to the Lord? Or are we just saying, well, this is my whole life, I'll do all my things in my life and all what I've planned, and oh, there's half an hour here left, I'll use that for the Lord. It is putting the Lord first and trying to shape that round and uh, to have their time for the Lord. We have in 1 John chapter 1, a beautiful word if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here we have them coming and confessing so clearly we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. Whether at the beginning or whether in backsliding, returning, is always the same. We think of the prodigal son who our Lord told the parable going into a far country, wasting his substance with riotous living. And then he comes to be in one. There's a famine in that land. The Lord uses the famine. He uses him to be in want, to be in need. And then he thinks of his father's house and he thinks of what is there. It's recorded in Luke 15. And as he thinks back, he thinks back to all the blessings and everything that he had in his father's house. And he resolves to go back. And he's going to confess that he has sinned against thee and against the Lord. He's no more worthy to be called his son. Make me, I pray thee, as one of thy hired servants. And he comes and he begins to go back in this path of repentance. But then his father sees him a great way off, runs to him, raises him, and so joy to see him return. And in that chapter we have three parables and each one emphasising 
the joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, the ninety-nine just persons that have no need of repentance. Repentance is a vital experience of the people of God, not once at the beginning, but again and again. As often as we sin, as often as we go away from the Lord, it is returning and rest that we will be saved. And so this is the people returning to the Lord as pictured here. And may it be so with us. And may the Lord sanctify to us those things that make us willing to return, willing to part with idols, willing to humble ourselves before the Lord, to really confess our sins before him. I want to look then, thirdly, over stirred up adversaries. Because while the children of Israel were doing this, while they were humbling themselves, coming before the Lord, gathering together in this way, then the Philistines heard of him. You read in verse 7, when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. Immediately they've got adversaries. Immediately they've got opposition. And it is their old adversary. It is the one that had them in captivity. It is the one that the Lord used to chasten them, really gave them over to their sins in the first place. And the ones whose idols they were uh, really committing adultery with, they rise up against the children of Israel. This was their adversaries. But the children of God will have adversaries as well. You know, as soon as there is a starting to return, as soon as there is a willingness then don't be surprised that those very things that we want to be free from and delivered from rise up. That they will accost us, that they are threatened to bring us back and to transgress even more and more against the Lord. Satan will rise up, our own sin will rise up, the evil of our heart will rise up, this is a thing that I knew at the beginning of my conversion and have known again and again to always accompany a desire to repent and a beginning to repent and to seek the Lord that the very sins we want to be free from, the very sins that we have grieved us and we now have grieved the Lord, they rise up, they stir up, they threaten to devour and to bring us back again and deliver us into bondage again. And, and, and there is that fear that here, here we are hoping to return to the Lord, but if we give way, if we go around these sins and go into this path, we're going to be even deeper and deeper into debt and deeper and deeper into bondage. And... The children of Israel must have thought here, we are now going to repeat what happened 20 years ago. We're going to be defeated again and destroyed again. And yet the Lord used it for good. 
and I believe if we can think back, and, and, and certainly I can, are those times in a similar way. Uh, and when sin is stirred up, when sin is rising up, you know, Paul says in Romans 7, the good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I do. O wretched man that I am. He said, if I do that which I would not, is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And that sin is with us all by nature. And that is stirred up when there is ever that desire after the Lord and after his ways. A stirred up adversary. We would think perhaps the opposite. Well, I've repented, I've confessed, I can see the evil of these sins. They're going to be subdued now. They're going to be quiet. They're not going to trouble me. They're not going to be uh, an enemy to me at all. And yet suddenly the opposite is happening. And yet we see what the Lord uses in this way. There's three things here. Firstly, there's intercession. And they realise their need of this intercession. What do the children of Israel say to Samuel? Verse 8. Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. What a beautiful picture. No, we don't need, we haven't got a Samuel, but we have in our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, he in heaven that maketh intercession for us. He that is our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, he that is for his people and that voice that speaks for them in heaven's high court for good. May we be as clear as Israel was to Samuel, as clear to the Lord. Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us. Make intercession for us. Appear for us at this time and deliver us at this time. And again, what is very clear here they have a specific prayer. When we're in a low state and just in a general religion, our prayers are very unspecific. They're just general. We, we pray to be delivered from sin, perhaps. But it, it's very generalised. But here, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. This adversary now that is attacking Often when we're very low in our souls, we will pray. We pray to be delivered from sin, but we specifically, and our hearts are so deceitful, we specifically avoid the very sin that our hearts love and like, and we don't pray against it. We don't want to, because we still want it secretly. And yet when brought like the children of Israel here, really to repent and really to want deliverance, our prayers are very specific to the enemy that is attacking at that specific time and that is threatening us at that particular time. May we realise the value intercession of our God in heaven, that we have one greater than a Samuel to pray for us. You read in Romans 8, the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The children of Israel had no power against these Philistines and nor have we against our sin and against our adversaries, against Satan. 
We have no might. We have no power. The Lord is able to save us. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you be able to bear him. And here then, the intercession is felt the need of, and it is made. But how does Samuel first respond? He takes the sucking lamb and offers it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. What a beautiful way of pointing immediately to Christ's sacrifice. If this people are to be delivered, if this people are to be saved, must be through the blood of Christ. It must be through what is to be done at Calvary. There is no other way. Not the blood of bulls and of goats, but for what this set forth. And so he offers it unto the Lord. Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. How vital that there is the sacrifice at Calvary. No deliverance. We read at the end of Psalm 25, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. That is the only way of being delivered out of sin, out of trouble, is to be redeemed. The children of Israel had nine signs, nine wonders before they were set forth from Egypt. But when the blood was shed and they were redeemed, then they were brought forth out of Egypt. And so here is pointing to that sacrifice to be offered at Calvary by our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord heard him. An empty tomb, a risen Saviour, God hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. The Lord not only heard, but the Lord answered him. The Lord answered and used this very occasion of a wonderful deliverance. We think of the picture at Calvary with the people of God, those two in the way to Emmaus sum it up, we trusted it should have been he that should redeemed Israel. This great trial, the Romans triumphing, the Jews delivering up our Lord Jesus Christ, slaying him, killing him, didn't deliver himself, the thief, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. It seemed that everything was black, everything was finished. And then the third day the Lord raised up again. You think of Abraham told to go and offer up his son on a mountain that he would tell him of. The first day Isaac was as good as dead. The second, the same. The third, the beginning of the third day heightens my father the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? My son, God, will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. But what a trial, what a trial of faith that great, great trial was. And yet at the end of that third day, what a deliverance. In blessing, I will bless thee. Thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And that which was turned from great sorrow or thinking that the enemy had triumphed was turned to wonderful deliverance. You think at the end of that first day of the week, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And so with this here, 
The Lord hearing and answering is a very clear answer. The Lord sent, he fought for them. He didn't just work through them in an ordinary way. Yes, they did use sword. They did pursue after the Philistines. They still, they did smite them, but the Lord thundered a great thunder. And it was while, while the offering was being offered, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on the, that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. They were smitten before Israel. What an effect. The intercession of the Lord and the sacrifice of our Lord. Great deliverances the Lord gives to his people. And the only way is through our Lord. He shall save his people from their sins. Save them from their adversaries. Deliver them and save them. And every child of God that obtains deliverance and blessing will point to the same blood the same victory at Calvary, the same intercession in heaven. He won't say, it is my work, it is my victory, it is my efforts, but it's the Lord's work and is marvellous in our eyes. It comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. This was a set time to favour Zion, a set time to favour the children of Israel here and there are those set times for the deliverance of a people to be called by grace, a set time to bring them back from in backsliding, a set time to renew the church of God, to bless the church of God as well. So these things then were, were done for the children of Israel. And then we have the fourth thing. We have a time, a place and a way to mark the Lord's help so far. Straight away, wasn't it? Straight away, they realised the help of the Lord. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen. Now you think the, the way that this has gone through history, you think of the children of Israel when they'd been in Egypt and under their burdens, and Moses was sent to them. Moses was fearful that the people wouldn't believe that God had sent him, that they wouldn't receive him. He'd already known 40 years ago who made thee a ruler and judge over us. But he went back and they believed the signs. And not only that, they rejoiced, they praised the Lord. You say, did they praise too quickly? They were still in Egypt. They're still under their bondage. If they hadn't praised immediately, and they were right to praise, the Lord had sent Moses. He was on the way. He was going to deliver them. But a little while later, when all the signs and wonders were being done and their burdens were getting harder, they were so afflicted, they wouldn't even listen to Moses. They wouldn't even hearken to him when he tried to reassure them. Their trials got worse rather than better and yet deliverance was in the way and they were right to praise and thank the Lord first. We have the case with the children of Israel at the Red Sea. There they thought there's the adversary they'd got out of Egypt but now the adversary's after them, going to destroy them. 
mountains each side, Red Sea in the front and the Egyptians behind. And again, the Lord says to, to Moses, why do you cry unto me, saying to the children of Israel, go forward? And the Lord used the Red Sea, dividing it, brought them through safely and destroyed the Egyptians. And immediately afterwards, we have the Song of Moses. The song of deliverance and praise. They weren't still, they weren't yet in the promised land. They went through the wilderness. They're still in the wilderness. But if they'd have left it even three days, they'd be murmuring at the bitter waters of Mara. It's absolutely essential when we recognise the Lord has blessed and favoured us that we give that praise and honour to him immediately. Ebenezer. It is, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Not, we will say, he's helped us and give him praise for it when we get to where we want to go or when we get to heaven through this life, through these Ebenezer times. And it's good time to have those without being clouded by the thoughts, yes, but what if, what if, and this hasn't been done yet. When we can see what the Lord has done, as to then it is the time. We think of Hannah. We mentioned her and how Samuel was born. When Hannah brings to him, Ah, for this child I prayed, the Lord hath given me my petition that I've asked of him. And you read immediately. She goes and we have Hannah's praise and prayer. She doesn't even mention Samuel once. She is praising the Lord and glorifying the Lord and giving honour to the Lord. And so the timing is immediately, straight away, that we discern this blessing and help of the Lord. (coughs) But the place, here the place was in the same place that they'd had the defeat before. The same place that the ark had been taken from, the same place that the Philistines had prevailed over them. This was the place where deliverance had been, This was the place where praise had been. The very place, we might say, where a child of God has been overcome by the adversary, their own heart, the world, the flesh, the devil. In that place, the Lord sends deliverance and in that place, there is given the praise and the glory. You know, we might think with the Apostle Paul, Saul as he was, the Lord met him in, in... the very things that you're doing, hailing men and women uh, to prison. But there the Lord met with him and, and blessed him uh, and three days later there Ananias is sent to him. If the Apostle Paul ever was to speak, and he did speak several times, of the blessing that he had in conversion, he couldn't separate it from his sin and what he was doing at that time. And with the people of God as well, we often we, we cannot separate. And the children of Israel here, if they were to ask with this Ebenezer, how has the Lord helped you? How did this come about? They've got to remember the history of what we've briefly uh, spoken of this morning is bring them to that point. The Lord knows how to humble us and to bring us low to remember what we once were. The apostle says, I was not made to be called an apostle because I persecuted the house and the people of God. But we should never think, because the apostle says, 
forgetting those things behind and looking forward to that which is before, pressed toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Those things behind us, though we are to remember all the way the Lord has led us, aren't to drag us back, but they're to humble us, but we are to press forward and to look forward and to follow after the Lord. And so in this same place, that 20 years before they'd been defeated, here they are delivered and here they praise the Lord. But there's a way to do it. Well, here Samuel, he took a stone, a way that it should be remembered and not forgotten, that it should remain there for them. And so the Lord has given for the church of God the way also for his deliverances at those times we would gather together and give thanks and give praise to the Lord. But especially in the house of God, through the ordinances of the house of God, through baptism and the Lord's Supper, you do show forth the Lord's death till he come. We have Samuel here offering up the lamb. We have the church of God to never forget the way that they are redeemed. They have been redeemed and that precious blood has been shed for them, the body broken for them, and that is what they are to remember is to bring about every deliverance and every saving from their sin and every repentance. The Lord Jesus Christ is exalted to give repentance and remission of sins unto Israel. And we are to remember that. We are to raise up those Ebenezer's and stones of help and of thanks to the Lord. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift and for the blessing of his beloved Son and for every deliverance and every saving and every answer to prayer and appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And may we be help to raise up those times, to be very mindful of the hitherto, what has brought us to a particular time in our lives, and to be able to note those things the Lord has done, his providences, the timing of it, what has, has brought these things about, and notice it is the Lord's hand, and we owe to raise an Ebenezer hitherto, hath the Lord helped us. The Lord then is not robbed of his praise, we're reminded of his works, his goodness, and we're encouraged, he that has helped us, his that whose hymn writer says, shall help us all our journey through. Daily give fresh cause to praise, new Ebenezer's to his praise. Will the Lord bless the word to us this morning. Amen.